Hawks Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Paul Moyer. It is Thursday. It's 7 p.m., so that means you're listening to Hawks Live with me, Michael Bumpus, and my guy, Paul Moyer. Paul, it's always good to talk to you on a Thursday. And Thursdays are a good time. It gives us enough time to kind of break down the previous game and and talk a little bit what's coming up. Um last week was fun. Man. It was. It was it was it was fun leading up to it just you know fans again even though it was a road game for us and you know what an incredible game. Uh I'm pretty jacked up for this home opener though. Yeah, it Seahawks. it didn't sound like a road game. No. Guys were making plays and I mean the crowd was getting into it. I wonder how many Hawks fans were there. Do you remember we were listening? There was one part, uh, it was either a highlight or towards the end of the game. I can't remember what play it was. And we all looked at each other and went, Are you kidding me? Yeah. It was so loud. Seahawks, you know, and then it was a big play and just the, the crowd erupted. And I go, Where are we playing? <laughs> but, you know, we know the, the 12 travel awfully well. And I look, I really believe, Bump, going into this week, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this, but I think this is going to be the most electric. Home opening game, other than maybe the Thursday game after we won the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. which you know kicked off the season in 2014, that was pretty electric. You know, it was a celebration. But I think just the fans being away for over a year, the 12s, the, the way this team looks, you know, after its first game, I just think they're going to be so excited. We're going to have Macklemore there, who's going to be playing a kind of a, a mini concert. I think it goes on at 12 o'clock. So you're going to have. The twelves in the I think in the excuse well I think uh, Macklemore's on at twelve right he'll do the celebration on the field or in the fan deck at one o'clock when the team leaves the locker room with a nice little pregame concert okay pre okay so I thought it was going to be a little bigger than that but for you twelves get there at twelve <laughs> because it ties in with the twelves and there you go I'm, I want to share the story because I was thinking about I think it's going to be so electric. I think that the crowd, just everything, hours before the game is going to be really special. I remember a game, I want to say it was 1987, which really is dating me. We were playing the Raiders Monday night, not to go down memory lane here. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is it was a game where the fans were in the stadium. Darn near sold out an hour before the game. When I mean sold out, they're all in their seats. And we did this queen, we will rock you clap. And you had 60-some thousand people in mm. unison with us clapping. And we were so fired up, man. There you go. We're stretching. And I'm like, let's, let's go. <laughs> we beat them 37 to nothing on energy, adrenaline. And maybe it wasn't 87. Whatever year it was, you know, probably 85, 6, whatever number it was. But that was so special. I, th- I see that happening as well. So 12s, now that you're listening, um, get there a little early. because I think it's going to be electric. 12s, show up. If you go, if you get there at noon and you go to a bar, tell them Paul Moore sent you, you get a discount. Not really. I'm just playing with you guys. Don't say that. Uh, <laughs> you can. <laughs> you tell them what's going to help you. Tell them sent you. Yes. All right, let's recap this win over the Colts, though, man. I mean, this offense was the talk of the town, right? What is this, is, is this offense going to look like? Are there going to be check downs? Are there going to be quick game? What's the jet sweep going to look like? How is Russell going to handle this offense not practicing or being in preseason games? I'll tell you what he did. 18 of 23, 254 yards, four touchdowns, a QB rating of 152.3, which is his second best ever QB rating. Paul Murray gave me that stat on the weekend. And um, and they didn't neglect the run. Chris Carson still has 16 carries for 91 yards, 140 yards, rushing total by the Seattle Seahawks. This offense looked like they are ready to go. And what's exciting is that 
I don't think we've seen everything. This is week one. Shane Waldron's going to build and build and build when it comes to this offense. Tyler Lockett had two touchdowns, four catches, 100 yards. DK had his touchdown catch. Everybody got involved. Gerald Everett, the new weapon, got a mm-hmm. touchdown. Yep. Will Disley got involved. I mean, everyone who needed to touch the ball and do something, they did. Yeah, Chris Carson had 91 yards, averaged 5.7 yards per carry. That's a very important piece. And, you know, as you were throwing those stats at him, thinking, well, Russell Wilson, he, okay, 78% completion percentage. If he keeps that up, that would be good. He's on pace for 68 touchdowns, no interceptions. That's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. He's on pace for 100 and what's his uh, quarterback rate, 152 and change or whatever that number yep. is. By the way, uh, 158.3 I think is a perfect perfect game, at which he's had before, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, the, what's interesting about this past game to break down is all the things you just said. Okay, they're, he, they did everything. They, they did everything that Russell Wilson wished for in the offseason. He got an extra. He got two big gifts, right? Usually you get one gift from Santa. Yeah. No, no, he got a bunch. He got a – it's a better offensive line. You got some tight ends to throw to. Mm-hmm. You, got a, you got an offensive coordinator that says, hey, you're always going to have a place to throw the football. If they take something that we think that uh, will work away, you have options here. And so what I thought was so impressive in the passing game, I'll stay with that one first. What I thought was so impressive is I never saw him, he was, I don't know the word, I, I don't want to say relax is the right word, it just just in command, mm-hmm. um, even when he was in the pocket, that's the most I've seen him stand tall in the pocket, and he was in the pocket a lot this game, and he was very comfortable with it. And I think partly is he knew there was a place to always get rid of it. Yeah. And when he needed to, when it's second and 20, right before the half, and all of a sudden he steps up into the pocket and he throws the 69-yard touchdown to Tyler Lockett, that's what this offense starts to be scared. That's one game. Indy's a very good football team. We know that. Really good defense. It's one game. Yeah. It's, you know, look, it's Wentz. We own Wentz. Uh, we, we 0-6 he is against the, yeah, the Seahawks. You know, it's just, it's just one of those. You, you see the guy and you go, let's ah, what, put a win on that, even though they're, they're a good football team. And I think I think this game is a game we should be able to move the ball and score a lot of points. I think we're going to need to. I don't think Tennessee is going to lay an egg again on offense like they did last week. All right, so we got a, showed a lot of love to this offense. Russell Wilson, DK, Chris Carson touched the ball 19 times total. I think that's a good number for him. But we got to highlight the defense, too. Mm-hmm. Defense did its thing. Bobby Wagner had 13 tackles, typical Bobby Day. Jordan Brooks had 11 tackles. Rasheem Green had a sack. Benson Mayoa had a sack. Daryl Taylor had a sack. These are names that we were counting on going into the season. You said, Paul Moyer, Rasheen Green can have a 10-sack type of year. Daryl Taylor needs to be explosive off the edge. His sack was impressive. He he had the receiver hezzy shake, got that tackle off balance, boom, gets through him, gets to the quarterback. I'm excited about this defense too. Yeah, I'll stay with Daryl Taylor just briefly because it's fresh in my mind. Here's a guy that can um, – and if I had Ray Roberts here, he, he, would, he would probably describe it better – but because of his speed rush, he's going to get guys on their their heels. And he's strong enough where he can actually bull rush a tackle. He can put him on their seat and get to the quarterback, which is what we saw a couple times with his rushes, and then set it up again. Pure speed rush. He's going to be able to do a spin move inside. Look, we're loaded out there. I mean, I, I don't know if we're going to have a 15-sack guy, but I, I, I believe Green, I believe Taylor, I mean, these are guys that have a chance to push for double-digit sacks, and then you fill in a bunch of other six-to-eighters, which we have. You know, Hyder, obviously, Dunlap, Mayoa, 
I, you know, the list goes. I mean, we even talked about Jamal Adams. He had a sack. I think he wasn't offsides on that first third down. No, play. I don't think he was. You know, and they called it on. They called it. Yeah. I think it looked like he was, but his feet were two yards back. And you know, if you want to call the helmet, so be it. That would have got us off the field too. I mean, I kept that drive going. So, a lot of good things. I'm not going to get overexcited. If I sound overexcited, I, I don't mean to because. It's be excited, game. more. It's football season. Let's go. I'm excited. I just don't want to be overexcited. I, I, I want to see more. I, because, look, you know in this game. Think about this game last week. It's 14 to 10 before halftime. It's second and 20. We make a huge play. Mm-hmm. Now we're, it's 21-10. We get the ball in the second half. That play changed the whole complexion of that game. It did. You, know, you got to make those plays, though. I know, but I'm just saying, it's, it's four or five plays. It wasn't like Indy played poorly. I mean, they were in it, even though it felt like we were done. I thought we controlled the line of scrimmages on both sides. I thought we were definitely a better football team, better quarterback. But I'm just saying, I just, you know, let's let this thing play out. We're going to have some adversity, and it's going to be okay. We're yeah. going to be a really good football That's team. That's good to point out. It's okay to be excited. Yeah. But realize that this is the NFL, and you're going to play good football teams, and you're going to look at the Tennessee Titans and see what they did last year, excuse me, last week, and see what Kyler Murray did and be like, oh, this should be an easy, easy win. I'm not going to say that. They still have Derrick Henry. They still have Julio Jones. They still have A.J. Brown. Now, there's been a transition at that offensive coordinator spot, so just like the Hawks are going through a transition, they hit their bump in the road week one. There's going to be a bump in the road for the Seahawks as well. So, yes, enjoy the win, but know that every week these guys got to come back and perform at a high level. Well, they went up twenty-four to nothing by Arizona over Tennessee. Up twenty-four to nothing. That pretty much throws your game plan mm-hmm. out. I mean, you got Derrick Henry end up rushing for seventeen times, but only fifty-eight yards, three point four yards of carry, which is unlike him. I I would take him over any pure running back. And actually, I mean, I like Chris Carson up there too. But Henry's that guy you look and go, as a defender, okay, I got to wear my bigger shoulder pads today. Big boy you know, I gotta, I gotta come with this. And but going into this game, we only one thought: we gotta make him one dimensional. Yes, we gotta make him throw to Julio Jones, AJ Brown. We gotta make him a passing team, not a running team. We gotta make him a passing team, not a running team. Derrick Henry is out there. All right, when we return, we'll get an opponent review. Excuse me, preview from Joe Rexrow from the Athletic right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Hawks Live with me, Michael Bumpus, and my guy, Paul Moyer. We're going to get into the Tennessee Titans, and now we get to talk to Joe Rexrow from The Athletic. He is our insider. Joe, how you doing? I'm doing great, guys. Good to be with you. Hey, man, we appreciate you hanging in in there with us. I know it's late over there. It's uh, 7 our time. What is it, 10-year time? Come on, man. Tennessee, does, it's like Vegas. They don't sleep. <laughs> it's a good town. Uh, well, actually, I'm, I'm on a nice central time. So Tennessee's split. So Nashville, the the middle of the state west is uh, central. So so not, not too bad. Not too bad. Okay. Not too bad. Well, let, let's get into these Titans. Man, tough week one. Chandler Jones made his presence felt. Um, you didn't get the production out of Derrick Henry that you know you're going to see eventually. You didn't get the production out of AJ and Julio that you know you're going to see. What's the feeling in Nashville right now? Yeah, well, I'd say you know maybe it's a, it was certainly shock. I'd say for a couple of days, maybe that's wearing off a little bit. Shock and anger because there was a lot of hype for this team, and it was a great environment for the opener. And boy, did they lay an egg! And you know, I think you you hit on. 
the key. I mean, Chandler Jones, Derrick Henry. I mean, so this game really came down to the line of scrimmage and um, the, the Titans' offensive line, which has been very good, uh, was just awful. I mean, you're talking about an eighty million dollar left tackle, a, a guy who was who's has been worth that contract. And Taylor Lewan, of course, coming off an ACL, hasn't played a game since October, but boy, he just just couldn't handle Chandler Jones at all. Um, and then, you know, a few other guys who have been banged up uh, during camp and also they're on the COVID list that kind of just came back for game week. So I think that's kind of the big hope is that, you know, it's sort of a, a combination of factors and the offensive line will figure it out. But it really does start there. Nothing nothing doing for Derrick Henry. And, I mean, Ryan Tannehill had trouble setting up to even look at A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. Yeah, it's all about the big boys in the trenches. They need more love. They really control the game. Now, a guy who also controls the game is the offensive coordinator, new coordinator out there. You got Downey. Um, out here at the University of Washington, there's some rumblings about the offensive coordinator. Are people in Nashville concerned about the play calling after week one? Yeah, and, you know, honestly, Todd Downey, I, I mean, we, we've talked about it a lot in Nashville, you know, in in the in the off season, I, I think he was the guy under the most pressure anyway because one he he's been an OC one time for one season and it was a really bad season with the Oakland Raiders in 2017 and of course a lot of factors that season too you know Derek Carr was coming off the broken leg and I mean it was a bad scene all the way around they had other injuries on offense but bottom line is it was a really bad year and, and he did get a lot of the blame and the OC always gets a lot of blame, more blame than a lot of coaches because everybody can see what they're doing uh, on a, you know, decision by decision basis. But he was already coming in sort of like, well, if they're great and they can match last year's 31 points a game, then okay, good job. You, you, you did your job with Derrick Henry, Julio Jones and AJ Brown. And if they fall off at all, then who are you going to look at? You know, Arthur Smith, his predecessor was outstanding. And now he's the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. So, there is concern. Now, I think it's probably a little bit of overreaction after one game, but this is a huge week for him. Well, how much was it? Because you fall behind 17 nothing early, you know, and you, you try not to get away from the game plan, but now it's 24-6 to at halftime. How much do you think that just took away? I mean, you, they, you guys want to run the football, but now you have to throw it. Yeah, sure. Now, I will say, though, I mean, when you have minus one yard after the first quarter and you have not targeted Brown or Jones, you know, that's a problem. And when every first down is a run to Henry that basically loses yardage, you know, at some point you, you mix things up. And um, obviously they want to establish the run game, and it's it's going to be their bread and butter. But Arthur Smith was really good about being unpredictable and, and running play action on first down. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, they ran play action five times um, on the day. And last year, they were one of the top play action teams in the league. Certainly, that's situational, as you pointed out. I mean, if you fall way behind, um, you know, you get a strip sack when you do run a naked bootleg and you kind of have to change your plan. That's going to take that away. But I still think early in the game it was very predictable, and you're behind the chains at second and twelve, second and eleven, constantly. And you know that is that is on Todd Downing. So um, yeah, it, the, the game did get out of hand. The thing is, I think the Titans' defense actually played pretty well until they finally seemed to break down. Uh, and of course, there were just some plays that Kyler Murray made that you know that just very few people could make. Although. 
maybe the quarterback coming up here uh, can make some of those plays as well, as we all know. Yeah, unfortunately, we get Murray twice a year, so we we know what he's all about. <laughs> hey, talk about you, you mentioned Taylor Lewin, who. I don't know if he got beat for four or five sacks. I know Chandler Jones had five, and I think Buda Baker may have got one on him too, which, you know, got some play. But talk about it. I think what he did was really kind of cool after the game. I mean, he, he basically humbled himself and, you know, thanked you know, Chandler Jones for, you know, humbling him and that he's got to get back to work as, as well. But well, what kind of guy is he? I mean, there's not many guys who are going to come out and, and do what he did after a game. Yeah, it's, that's interesting, and I agree. I mean, you know, it was a little mea culpa tweet, and, and yeah, like you said, he tagged Chandler Jones and basically was like, thanks for kicking my butt, you know, and and uh, I'll learn from it. And some people didn't like that around here, but also he kind of got criticism, but he, he didn't talk, but he, he would have talked. I mean, if it was an open locker room, he would have talked. In fact, I, I put up the entire transcript at the Athletic Today of Taylor because it was so good. Um and he it was very, you know, I mean, he went in-depth on all the issues, not trying to make excuses, but just trying to explain why he was such a mess. Um, and, you know, I mean, look, he got booed. He, he left the game. He had cramps. He had to get IVs in the injury tent. And, of course, everybody's thinking it might be the knee. But he comes back in the game. The PA announcer announces, you know, tell the one back in the game. And, like, I mean, seriously, half the crowd booed him. You know, So, I mean, it was a rough day for him. But. He is, um, he's a great player and he's, he rubs people the wrong way sometimes. He, he used to have a big problem with personal fouls and after the whistle stuff, but he's kind of cleaned that up. He's probably, a, you know, he's one of the best talkers. He's certainly the best talker on this team because he talks, you know, he's very sweet about what is going on, good or bad. So, um, he's not exactly a leader. You know, because he's, his personality is so off the wall. But, uh, you know, he's, he's a polarizing presence and certainly a great player. I mean, if he's not a great player this year, then, I mean, the Titans' plans uh, are really going south. I mean, it's, they're very dependent on being able to, you know, be, put him on an island against great pass rushers and, and just feel fine about it. All right, Joe. So the Titans come into town. You got Julio Jones, got A.J. Brown, you got Derrick Henry. Um, any n- other names that we should be looking out for that probably aren't in the tabloids right now? Well, Anthony Ferkser, 86, the tight end, is he's kind of emerged as the top tight end. He is a good pass catcher, a good weapon, um, almost like a glorified slot receiver, but certainly a guy. He has a great connection with Ryan Tannehill. He, you know, he, just like those guys, didn't do a ton in the first week, but I mean, it was just a bad all-around week. And Chester Rogers, real nice story, you know, a guy who kind of bounced around, been hurt, but he kind of emerged as a slot guy, and he actually had the best day among the receivers. And is a you know, he's a part returner too, but you know, he's a nice player. They may get Josh Reynolds back um, this week now. And of course, you guys know Josh Reynolds well. You know, really, I thought a good signing for the Titans. He's had what he called Achilles stuff. Which is never good to hear. Um, during during camp and missed a lot of it. wasn't able to go last week, but he's fully participating. So there's a chance they would have him. And the idea with him is, you know, it's kind of a vertical guy to, you know, kind of make those safeties think a little bit and take a little bit of heat off of uh, Brown and Jones. So if he's out there, that could give them a little bit of help. But yeah, it's you know those three guys that you mentioned. I mean, it's it's still going to revolve around them, and it should revolve around them. 
Well, as we, we're going to have to let you go here in a sec, but uh, you're going to get a good one, too. Bradley McDougal, who was here for a while, he, he was part of the trade with Jamal Adams. Uh, you're you're going to like him. Good football player as well, but uh, I think you'll like interviewing him. Yeah, well, it's a big week for him because, of course, Imani Hooker, the starter, um, is out, and I think it will be McDougal in this game. And, yeah, I mean, it's it's been impressive to me how quickly he has adapted um as you know he got brought in midway through camp so um yeah i think uh i think he'll be out there as a starting safety sunday and maybe you know maybe his knowledge of the seahawks will be a little bit of an advantage but of course he also knows the challenge he's facing i mean as a safety face in those receivers that's got to be uh that's got to be pretty daunting yep no matter what we saw last week we know that when the titans come into town it's going to be a tough game joe we appreciate your time my friend all right, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You got it. All right. That was Joe Rexwood Road from The Athletic. Coming up next, we'll talk to starting center of the Seahawks, Mr. Kyle Fuller, right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Hawks Live every Thursday at 7 o'clock right here on ESPN 710. I'm Michael Bumpus with Paul Moyer. And now we get to talk to the starting center for the Seattle Seahawks, Kyle Fuller. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How's it going tonight? Hey, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. Football season is in full effect. Week two is coming up. And, uh, man, you've had a journey, man. You had a journey. Drafted in 2017, seventh-round pick. Spent some time in Houston, Washington, the Dolphins, Seahawks. And now you are a starter, man. Just tell me about that journey, what it's been like, and how rewarding it is to be where you are now. Yeah, it's been uh, extremely rewarding. You know, just a long process, uh, obviously, without getting too detailed about it. But it's 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 been um, everything, every step that I've taken, you know, essentially has just been there to prepare me for uh, this moment and what i got going on now. I think we all saw... You know, last year, you, the, the athletic ability you have at center, and then when you had the game, we'll, we'll ask you more about that against the Rams down in L.A. When you really, I thought you handled Aaron Donald as well as anybody we've seen this year. But what what was that like last week? As you and Posick, you were rotating, looked like, between series. Um, how was that for you to adjust? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, uh, definitely been an adjustment for sure. Um, obviously, everything here is about competition, you know, so uh, – you know the competition was still around. Uh, things things uh, obviously um, happened a certain way um, in the game. You know, uh, but you know, the best thing that I can do is just get out there and do my job. That's really all I'm focused on. Now, in my years of football, Cal, I've uh, I've learned that the offensive lineman room is the closest room or unit on the football team. Is that true? And just give me an insight on on what this offensive line room looks like. Yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, you know, it's a offensive line. It's a thankless job. You know, you don't score touchdowns. You don't make tackles. You know, you don't do anything really on on the stat line. You know, so uh, you know, usually that's 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 usually how the group of guys uh, essentially approach you know work every day. Um, you know, and that that makes for pretty much uh, unity in the room. You know, a lot of chemistry. Uh, you know, obviously you have guys with different personalities and things like that. But you know, everybody usually gets along pretty well. You guys, uh, you look good last week. So trying to and tell the, the, the 12s right now, listen, and I, I know you've probably been asked this question a million times with Waldron coming in, new offense, but is there one or two things this year for you as an offensive liner, you as a center, that is really different from maybe the last couple of years with the Seahawks? 
yeah, uh, I think that this is definitely a closer group than uh, years past, uh, just in, in terms of just being able to uh, understand the guy next to you, um, understand exactly what it is that they do um, well and, and, and the things that they might not do so well. And, you know, it helps to complement each other. Um, that's definitely the biggest thing that I can see uh, for this offensive line, you know. So, and that's, that's just what we're going to continue to build on and continue to grow on every day. Now you're you're coming to Lumen Field. Titans are coming into town. Twelves are going to be out there. Is are you excited about the fans? Are you concerned about it? Because you know there's a lot of communication that goes in the offensive line. Have you gotten used to quiet stadiums? Just what's your mental going into this game as far as the noise and twelves being back? Yeah, I mean I'm just you know we're not too uh, worried about the noise or anything like that, but definitely excited to have the twelves back. Um, you know, that's going to be a, def- a definite factor for them, you know, so we're going to make sure that it's not a factor for us. Take me back to Wiley, Texas. By the way, my kids just moved to Dallas. These guys are tired of me uh, hear- hearing about that, but they've been there about two years, and <laughs> and uh, and I yeah. love it. So they love Dallas. They're, they're kind of – in that Plano area, and I think you're just a little east of of that. But tell me about being in at why Texas is big. First of all, football we know that. I mean, that to me is the king of football. You know why Baylor? You know, tell me about that recruiting process. And then I, after that, I got a, a follow up question for you. Yeah, uh, Wiley, small suburban town right outside of Dallas. Uh, football is a religion there. Um, you know, I was blessed to have a great head coach in college, or I mean, high school, excuse me. Uh, you know, who took took the time out, helped me grow as a person, um, and essentially the recruiting process came around um, when um, Randy Clements, who was the offensive line coach at Baylor at the time, uh, he had reached out and um, had hit me up about coming down to Baylor. And uh, you know, Baylor's only about two hours away from Dallas, so essentially it was a no-brainer for me. Um, being close to home, being able to play football, you know, in Texas still, you know, that was, that was everything to me. Were you, I, I, you know, you think Texas that everybody's a Longhorn, Longhorn fan. I mean, they, they've struggled, you know, obviously the last few years got you know, beat up pretty good last week. Well, were you a long a Texas Longhorn fan? And uh, was there any interest there? Uh, no, not really. I didn't really grow up a Longhorn fan. Um, <clears throat> I was more, I didn't really pay attention to it, to be honest, too much. Uh, there were a lot of Longhorn fans. There's a lot of Texas Tech fans, a lot of Baylor fans. It's actually kind of mixed the further north you get. Um, but towards Austin, it's definitely, you know, UT country. So, What's it like just starting in the NFL? You know, there are a lot of guys who chase the dream. You know, a lot of guys who come into preseason, uh, they get cut, they don't make it. Some guys go other places. A lot, A lot of guys, their career is over. You found a way to kind of – Hang around and get your shot. What's it like knowing that? Look, I'm a starter in this in this league. Yeah, I just can't take it for granted. Um, go out there every day, do my job, uh, play hard, play fast. Essentially, that's, that's that's about all I can do. You know, um, I can't get too focused into you know what is you know things that might happen, things like that. So I just kind of have to focus and just you know go out there and uh, accomplish any goals that I have. So. We're with uh, Kyle Fuller, your starting center for the Seattle Seahawks. Kyle, it's been a weird two years with the pandemic. You know, last year, my goodness, you know, you guys were kind of locked down and having to do testing all the time. Has anything changed for you guys this year? And are you able to feel like you, you've got a little more mobility, at least with your free time? Yeah, just a little bit more um, mobility around the building and stuff like that. Obviously, we still want to be careful uh 
we still want to be careful with, uh, you know, how we go about, you know, being out in public, things like that, because the virus is still around. But, you know, it's it's definitely uh, a lot different from last year. Last year was a very tough year, um, you know, and, and hopefully we'll be able to get back to a sense of normalcy at some point. So what what do you do on Monday nights, the, the night before you have days off on Tuesday, or what do you do on Tuesday to, to get a little bit of relief from football? Yeah, I mean, most mostly those days are uh, set for recovery, uh, you know, going over any corrections, things like that, uh, for the game before. Um, but once I'm done with those, I just kind of clear my mind and allow myself to just relax, you know, uh, before I get back into the work week. All right, favorite favorite spot to eat. Where do you like to go, man? Um, out here. Yeah. Uh, I like um, I like uh, Joey Bellevue. That's a good spot. I like that place. Uh, food there is pretty good. So that's probably that's probably my favorite spot out here. So take me back to a game that uh, really jumped out on us last year: Rams down in L.A. You're up against again. Not that you're just up against Aaron Donald, but the one thing I know the Rams are trying to do is match up. So they probably see a, a considered a younger guy at the time, and and you, you had to go up against him. But tell me just what that was like. And you played a great game, but just you know what, your, the preparation going into that and how you felt after you were done playing against them. Yeah, obviously, you know, a guy like that, you have to respect him. Um, but you know. The preparation is all done in practice, you know, so you, you when, when you get to the game, um, essentially we have this quote, it's basically practice preparation uh, equals game reality. So, you know, you practice very hard. Uh, you do what you're supposed to do in practice. That way it shows up on tape um, on Sundays. And essentially that's just kind of how uh, my approach is to pretty much every game. You know, I don't, I don't go in there, you know, psyching myself out against, you know, certain people, certain opponents, things like that. Um, you know, a lot of that is just hype, you know, so as long as I just go in there and perform and do my job, then that's all that matters. All right. Titans are coming into town. You've been watching film. You've been preparing. What type of game do you expect this Sunday? You know, it's going to be a good game. You know, we just have to go out there, execute, um, do our thing uh, on offense. Defense has to do their thing. Special teams do their thing, and essentially, uh, you know, be a good result. Okay, before we let you go, I, I got to ask this. I'm going back to Dallas, see the kids first of November. What's your favorite restaurant I have to go to? Uh, okay, so on the north side of Dallas, out in Frisco, it's about 35 minutes north of Dallas. It's called Hutchins Barbecue. Um, that place definitely probably the best. Best barbecue in town. Uh, my favorite restaurant for sure. Uh, my my son lives in Frisco, so that's perfect. I'm yep, set right now. I'm, I'm set, Kyle. I'm gonna tell him that uh, you said hi when I get there. <laughs> yeah, we'll do. Okay. All right, Kyle. Man, we appreciate right. you taking time out of your day. Have a good weekend. Let's go get this W on Sunday. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right, that was starting center Kyle Fuller for your Seattle Seahawks. Coming up next, we'll talk to the professor, Mr. John Clayton, right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Hawks Live. Thanks for joining Michael Bumas, myself, and Paul Moyer. And you hear the music. It's 747, almost 8 o'clock. We getting funky. It's time to talk to Mr. John Clayton. John, how you doing? Good, I'm back. John, do you have a rhythm? Uh, dancing, no. No, I just. But do I? I do have rhythm. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I again, it's like uh, as much as I like funk. I mean, it's like you got to have rhythm if you like funk. 
I just wanted to make sure because we, we we play that funk music and you know I'm watching myself. I'm popping the shoulders, just looking good. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I saw Bumpus. He had he kept his hands inside like a Will Smith <laughs> demands. You know, don't. So I was just curious about you. No, I mean I, I'll, I'll bounce around. I mean again, it's not you know a dancing is not my forte. It's like it's one that I've never been good at. But boy, I mean just to be able to to go with the rhythm and you know go bounce. I mean again, you you uh, you don't get to see me because I'm always here at home. But I'll bounce my head and do all those different things, particularly with the uh, different beats. I've you, never met a wide receiver doesn't think he can dance. <laughs> well, I'm not a wide receiver. No, I'm, I'm staring at Bumpus on this yeah, one. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. We all can, John. But you know what is your forte? Is football, man. Yeah. We got the New York Giants up twenty to seventeen versus the Washington football team. We have Taylor Heineke twenty to twenty six, one hundred seventy eight yards. Now, John, I thought that the Washington football team should and would take a look at Cam Newton. You think that's possible? No. I don't think so. I think that uh, even though Ron Rivera coached him, they've had great success together, all those different things, is that uh, I just think that uh, you know he, he worries that that could be a problem in the locker room. And remember, it's like uh, – because remember, here's – and again, this is where Cam put his foot in his mouth where he says that, uh, yeah, my aura was one of the reasons I'm no longer a patriot because if I would have gone – if they kept me there, then the aura would have affected uh, you know Mac Jones. All right, well – here, one of the things that uh, Ron Rivera dealt with last year is Dwayne Haskins, and his aura caused problems in the locker room to a point where they actually cut him, even though he was a first-round pick, and he was still young. And so I just get the feeling that, uh, that that's not in the cards. I mean, they'll you know they'll look for something right now because I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick's going to be out six to eight weeks with his hip injury, but uh, I, I just don't think Cam's an option. Before we get too funky, um, share some um, injuries just to the Seahawks. Update to us and Tennessee because they, they made a, a move as well this week. Yeah, I mean, the the concern I think right now is on the offensive line because we don't know where Damian Lewis is. He missed practice today. Jamarco Jones is banged up. And Damian's such an important part of this offense because one of the things that both Damian and Gabe Jackson give them the ability to do is go with a less experienced center because they take such he take those two take such pressure off him and I know they say that for Damian Lewis who's a second year offensive lineman but he was one of the best guards among rookies last year so they definitely need Damian Lewis back you know and knowing that you know Jeffrey Simmons is a good defensive tackle and that could be some problems uh, you know the Titans right now uh, they have so many issues I mean because like Taylor Lewan coming off that ACL injury looked terrible I mean gave up five sacks to Chandler Jones and. And, uh, you know, they they you know, they they played so poorly, particularly on defense, because last year they were the fifth fourth defense in the league statistically. And now they come back and uh, they even play a worse game, giving up 37 points to Arizona. John, Pete Carroll turned 70 years old recently. He's one of the oldest coaches to ever be a head coach in the NFL. What is it about him, his game plan, his philosophy that has allowed him to last so long in this game? Funk. <laughs> no, no, that. because again, it's like I know, uh, you know, he was at the University of Pacific and all that stuff. I mean, he was a big James Brown fan. I mean, he was a big fan of funk and all that stuff. Because I know, I mean, you know, when uh, we're able to be near the coaches, which we aren't right now. I mean, every year uh, J- uh, Pete would come over and sing me a, a James Brown song, and he'd give the Bobby Brown, you know, introduction and all those great things. And so I think funk was one of the great reasons. And then also, I mean, you know, the fact that uh, particularly when he, you know, again, 
it, it was like he wasn't like an unsuccessful NFL coach because say what you want. I mean, he was with two teams, but uh, the Patriots and the Jets. But he was able to get two of those years where he, they were in the playoffs. Now, they didn't do anything in the playoffs, but they were in the playoffs. Then he goes to USC. And because he has such a young mind, I mean, it works so well with the players as far as being able to recruit. And so now you can see he's 70, but he looks like he's like, uh, you know, 51, 52 years old, and I think you know he's probably going to coach till he's 74, 75 years old. Where Marv Levy was the oldest coach at 72. I'm gonna stay on that topic with Pete a little. Um, I'm, I'm moving a, a little bit. What, what do you think's harder? Do you think it's harder for a college coach to come to the NFL or have an NFL coach to go to college? And the, and the reason why I'm bringing that up, they're talking about the is it uh, are they going to be enemy? Be enemy. Thank you, be enemy. Yeah. Over at Kansas City, going to USC. I don't know if he's had any college experience, and you know, there's been very few, obviously, coach coaches other than really Jimmy Johnson and Pete Carroll that have made the transition from college to the NFL. Yeah. What, what, do, you, what do you think's tougher? Well, it's I think it's tougher to have a pure college coach, and that's not Pete Carroll because he's been in the NFL. John Harbaugh was in the NFL. I mean, the guys that you mentioned are in the NFL. But it, like, if you're Urban Meyer, uh, you're completely lost coming into the NFL. And like, for example, if you go back, I think it's to 2020. There's been about nine or ten head coaches hired purely out of college that have no NFL experience, and the only one who won had a winning record, and that was by five games, was Chip Kelly. And I wouldn't consider him to be a great success in the NFL and you know you can you, you can look how lost Urban Meyer is right now I mean he doesn't know what to do I mean the practices are probably too tough I mean he's probably losing the faith of his players I mean he doesn't know how to answer things and you know he doesn't like free agency I mean he just doesn't know what he doesn't know and the idea is if you're going to be a college coach uh, you know you you don't know what NFL players because what ends up happening if you go into the NFL from college, you end up getting too much personnel power than you should, and you mess it up. And so because of that, I think that uh, he's in a spot right now where he's going to fail. Now, like, for example, he won't leave uh, Jacksonville because he's making about $9 million a year. And you know USC, they're not paying $9 million for a head coach. So that won't happen. And in the case of Bienemy, I think you know, if you're Eric Bienemy, sure, you've got to be. Now, remember, he turned down Colorado last year and he went to Colorado. And then, you know, it, going over to USC, you know, that's a possibility. But I don't think he's going to do it because if you're Eric Bienemy, you're riding the gold wave right now because you've got uh, P- Patrick Mahomes as the as your quarterback. I mean, you've got a chance to go to your third straight Super Bowl. And, you know, if somebody doesn't hire him, there should be an investigation into stupidity in the National Football League. Yeah, it's a lot easier. Well, it would be hard to babysit, you know, 18, 19 year old. I'll say babysit, but that's yeah. just that's a tough deal. All right, John, my favorite time. What do you want to talk about? Well, I want to talk about the injury factor because, you know, I was just counting it up before I came uh, down here to do this. And, you know, it, it, naturally in week one, you know, with pre- pretty much the limited preseason, there was about 85 players that uh, starters that missed starts. OK, 85. And that's not bad. But now watch the numbers. They're skyrocketing last now. Now, because I mean, the two teams that I think are going to be very concerned are Baltimore because Baltimore's lost three, their top three running backs, Nick Boyle, their second tight end. He's on injured reserve. I mean, uh, 
Ronnie Stanley, their left tackle, he's going to miss this week. You know, their first-round pick, a wide receiver, he's out, and they lose Marcus Peters. And then you look at San Francisco, and the injuries continue there. I mean, Jason Verrett blows out his ACL. I mean, they find out Dre Greenlaw, the linebacker, he's going to be out six to eight weeks. Raheem Moster, the running back, I mean, he hurts his knee, and so now they're down Moster and Jeff Williams and Jeff Wilson at running back, and uh, you know, Emmanuel Mosley didn't play because of a knee injury. It's not good. It's not good, but you are always good on Thursdays. John and we appreciate your time, and we'll talk to you soon. Keep it funky, baby. Okay, sounds good. All right, that's Mr. John Clayton coming up next. Paul Moyer and myself will square up and talk that talk right here on Hawks Live.